few minutes. So is that what it's called? Wombat Radio. Cool. So I'll start it and then I'll ask you questions. Sure. And then I'll say, what do you mean by that thing that you just said? Great. Is that okay? Sounds good. If the red is on, that means we're recording. Okay. G'day, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today, we're chilling with Katie at Untitled Gallery in Coconut Grove. G'day, Katie. Hi, Matt. Um, Do you want to tell us uh, what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about a project called Hypothetical Darwin. That was born out of my creative and residence at the Northern Territory Archives. Cool. How long ago? Well, like everyone that's tried to complete a project in 2020, um, there's the timelines have been like um, yeah interesting. They're also hypothetical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I started the research component in October 2019, mm. and then I did my kind of final presentation in June 2020. Okay. And you are approaching it through the lens of an architect? Yeah. So entering a creative in residence in general was quite challenging for me. Okay. Because architects are very solution focused. Um, We're very much trained that you have a problem and you need to find a solution, which is generally a building. And what was your problem? I mean, I have an ongoing problem. <laughs> Let's talk about it. An issue with um, the way that uh, the government, and probably all layers of government, yeah. approach very broadly planning the built environment infrastructure right. in the Northern Territory. Right. Yes. Uh, now, because the Northern Territory is a big mystery for 24 of the 25 million Australians. Yeah. What is that shortcoming? What is that blind spot? I think it's just, I mean, we're actually not unique to Australia in the sense that when it comes to the built environment, I think, in the sense that we're very um, labour and trade driven, you know, like we're very much about jobs and growth. Yes. And we think that jobs and growth will come through building things. Yes. Um, but I think we do have another layer of um, problems in the top end, at least, of yes. the Northern Territory, where so much of what we create is based around national like rules and regulations um, in a climate that is completely different to mm. the majority of the rest of the country. Mm. So I think we have a lot of the same issues, but our climatic issues put like and our, and our remoteness. Um, on the continent put in a whole other layer of issues that just make it really hard to do anything here. And so part of my kind of thing, sorry, do anything, I mean build anything. Because of the standards that they, like cyclone standards or because of costs of um, materials and labour or because of... Lots of different things, like uh, definitely cost of material and labour and that that, that cost is increased because of our remoteness from the rest of the country. Mm. So, like, even though we might be getting in materials from Asia, a lot of the time it will go to Melbourne and Sydney first yes. and then come to us via road. Yes. So there's that added expense. Yeah, we or also, rail. Yeah. We also do have to build things that extra bit bigger and stronger for cyclone coating. Mm. But we also have that extra kind of um, political layer here, which is that as a territory, and this is still something, like, I've been here six years and this is still something I'm trying to understand... Mm is there is that little bit of lack of independence from the federal government and federal decision-making. 
And we also have a huge amount of remote Indigenous housing, which is one of the most political pieces of built infrastructure in Australia. Um, sporadically, when it's a, a hot topic in the media, and then like forgotten about the rest of the time? or I actually think it's weirdly something that's used quite consistently. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it just, like anything, goes through spikes. So there's problems and solutions... And that's the architect approach. Mm-hmm. And then there's problems that are ongoing problems that you always try and make the other party's problem. And mm-hmm. that's the political approach. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that, there are people who are from all different parts of the world with all different adaptations to heat and tropics mm-hmm. who are living somewhere that's very tropical and cyclone prone and trying to have places where they can form community. But those that problem of how to have places where community can form and thrive is not any of the problems that any of the um, that solving that solving ha- it has become a priority to anyone it seems it's like yeah. the budget is the problem yeah totally rather than how do people live here totally mm. but I think again as well I think um, the key thing again about an architectural focused solution is that nine times out of ten that solution is a building. Yes. And I guess what I've been interested in, in terms of my own personal practice, but also as like a societal kind of approach to, th- to the built environment, is like what does it look like if actually a building is not the solution, it's not the end result? Well, then you, if you're an architect, you have given up a job. <laughs> I just, who was that? I think my mum was like, oh, my dentist said I need a root canal. I was like, maybe a dentist has a payment to make on their yeah. yacht. <laughs> maybe it's fine. And totally, like, that's what I, I actually joke about, the fact that I'm one of the worst, like, I'm not a good architect in the sense of the, the fact that I keep suggesting we should stop building things. Mm. And when I am engaged to work on buildings, I find it really challenging because... Again, depending on the situation, yeah. but I find a lot of the time I'm like, this is really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's one of the reasons I kind of stopped working in private practice was because I just couldn't hold my tongue enough working on like rich people's renovations to be like, I think you should just not do this. Like, I think you should save yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. and just like do a paint job, maybe put in two new windows and be happy with what you've got. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not a good architect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But that's why as well, um, and, and you know, this, that's why I call myself an architect, which is like a term that I invented basically for the first time I met you and other creatives in the Northern Territory. Mm. It was when I had to figure out, well, how do I describe what it is that I do? And so I call myself an architect now. And do you have a different uh, relationship with things that are not through the lens of what is the problem and how do I solve it with a building? Do I have... Because that was your architect, mm-hmm. uh, s- s- not pseudonym, um, ego, alter yeah. ego. Yeah. <laughs> and now that you're an architect alter ego, yeah. what is the relationship that you have when you approach something that is not the architect one? Mm. I think, um, again, it's just, well... Is it sometimes thinking maybe there is no problem? Like people have come to you with a problem and you're like, actually, it's not a problem. Most definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. 
Yeah, um, it's sometimes, yeah, definitely about trying to show people that maybe there isn't a problem at all. But again, it's like challenging my own lens as well in terms of as someone who's been trained as an architect, I get really excited about designing built things because it's really fun and it Mm. makes me feel really good about myself because it's something I'm good at, but it also activates that part of my brain where I feel like I'm being used in the way that I've been trained to. So that's really exciting, but it's also then just like, yeah, but is that just my own ego being stroked? Is that really that important? Um, Mm. So I think a lot of my approach actually in terms of the broader philosophical thinking to what I produce as an architect probably isn't that different in terms of the design focus and the design kind of approach but it's much more about challenging my own lens and my own ego Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think about art as a process of thinking about something Mm -hmm. and then the artifact is the byproduct Mm -hmm. um architecture is the opposite where the the what i would call the byproduct Mm -hmm. that's the product Mm -hmm. and that's what people pay you for Mm -hmm. so is that does that mean that when you do something called hypothetical darwin you get to continually be in the thought process and share you're sharing approach rather than sharing um assets or outcome or artifact that's what I was attempting to do and again it was a it was a good kind of personal challenge for me um in that so throughout my residency um I held a series of crits Mm. and crits are a thing that's done in architecture school um where you present your work to your peers um and generally like architects within the industry and they kind of critique what it is that you're proposing um, and they're definitely seen like with a lot of fear in architecture school, like they're very scary things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to have a series of crits in my residency that were basically public presentations, but an opportunity for people to come and comment and critique what it is that I was suggesting. And after my first crit, I realised that I had basically presented like my entire residency. It's like I'd skipped a step. So even though in my head I was like, the intention is I'll have five crits and obviously at each crit I will have more work or it will be more developed. But I still kind of had it in my head. It's like but by the first crit I was like, but I'm presenting to the public. I need to have something to talk about. And I realised at the end of that first crit I was like, yeah, I can't, that could have been crit five, like not crit one. Yeah. And even people said to me, they were like, well, congrats on your residency, like good job. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, well, like, I just think you did really well. And I was like, oh, this is just like the start. And they're like, oh, what else are you going to do? <laughs> I was like, I'm not really sure actually. So I had to kind of almost step myself back okay. and be like, okay, so I've gone through all of this thinking. I've created these outcomes, which were basically very loose ideas. Mm. So I was like, how do I go backwards and try and communicate and present to people more of my process? But that was really challenging for me. Do you think that there was, instead of going back, that there was something more on the to keep going forward? Like you get to, say, you that simpsons episode where marge gets a incredible dress 
and she wears it all the time. But then she needs a new dress, but she can't afford a new dress, so she tears this dress apart and remakes it. Right. And it becomes actually more than it was. Sure. Rather than going back and like showing process, is there something beyond the completion? where it's not that you keep working or that you deconstruct the work that you've done, but that there's... I think, I don't know what I'm asking, but I think I'm asking (laughs) about what if it's not about showing your working? What if it's about saying that it's never done? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that's actually what ended up happening. I think my intent was to kind of, like I said, go backwards Mm. and expose more of the process but actually, I think I found that that wasn't going to be very fun for me. Yeah, right. Um, and at the end of the day, as some of my artistic friends had to remind me, they were like, this is a creative in residence. Like, the whole point of a creative in residence is for you, the individual, to explore your own creative practice. Mm. So they were like, so if you don't want to do that, don't do it. Like, just do what you want and have fun with it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a responsibility. Yeah. Um, so I think that is what ended up happening is that I ended up just finding different ways to I play around with the communication of what it is that I do ah, and my thinking. And through the medium or through the angle or through the... Yeah, through the medium. Yeah. So through drawings and, um, uh, yeah, visual yeah. representations, I is guess. Is that what then we will see in the installation? Yeah, so the installation itself... Um, in terms of its bare bones, was designed by a woman called Lisa Burnett, mm-hmm. um, who most people in Darwin actually know as like a very dedicated city of Darwin like youth worker. She does all the youth programming um, around town, but in her spare time is an amazing furniture, um, costume and installation designer. Wow. Um, and then Amina McConville, who's a local visual artist, um, did all the kind of detailed paintwork that's mm-hmm. on the installation. But the installation was always intended to be um, a display tool for my residency. Um, But I wanted it to be like a piece of art on its own. Um, And so that's what Lisa and Amina did. And then I've come along and I guess um, drawn over the top of it in some cases or attached things to it. Um, So it's, it's kind of been an interesting piece in that it is a collaboration and I've definitely spoken to them at different stages throughout them designing and painting things. Mm -hmm. But it's almost been a staggered collaboration in that Lisa designed it, Amina painted it, and then I've attached to it, Um, even though there's definitely been crossovers. um, Yeah, so that's been really interesting in terms of seeing how the work has evolved as each artist has kind of contributed to it. Yeah. It's almost like those are your third, fourth, and fifth crits. Mm. because And what's exciting about it is that they were not seeing the model or whatever that you made and then talking words Mm. but they were um, experiencing the proposal that you had brought with whatever medium you had and then they were extending it in their medium and so multiple mediums got to be on the level rather than this uh, hierarchy of words Mm, yeah totally and then I guess now in this sort of next iteration at Untitled Gallery is another extension of that Um, where all of us have come back to it um, in different extents Mm -hmm. to kind of change it a little bit or tweak it a little bit or add to it or develop it um, because it's in a totally different space, in a different context. You know, the kind of audiences and I guess the expectations that I have of the work 
at the archives and coming out of a creative in residence is different to what I think you would expect of an exhibition in a visual art gallery. Mm-hmm. So I've also just used that as an opportunity to be like, well, I've, I don't consider myself a visual artist. I've never had a visual art exhibition. What does that look like? How do I make that happen? So it's also kind of like a forced professional development thing, you know, just being like, so what do you do, Katie? (laughs) Yeah. Have you had any epiphanies about that? Um, Like what do you do? (laughs) I think part of it is just valuing, like, you know, having to consciously be like, oh, the things that I'm creating are... Um, valuable in a visual art context Mm. you know because again so much of what I'm doing as drawings are about um, like you draw to discover something or to design something it's part of the process Um, so it's about acknowledging that they are valuable as a piece of art in their own right Mm. Um, but also like I've still kind of contained it enough that I'm, I'm I guess I'm not interested in creating really large complex pieces that also then warrant like a huge price sticker that no one can afford yes well some people can afford but they're not coming (laughs) where are they (laughs) they're on their yachts uh also what i think art usually has is a question or an agenda or both Mm -hmm. and i imagine that in in siphoning through the archives some things were interesting Mm. And some things are not. And so I'm curious about what was interesting. I mean, for me, like I went in just wanting to look at maps because I love maps. Huh. And it was just like, let me see all the maps. And okay. I was really disappointed when they, they gave, when I first got there, they give you a tour of the building huh. and do take you through the back of house just to show you like how many files exist. And then I was like, oh, great. I can't wait to just start looking through these drawers of maps. But then it was like, oh, no, no, like you won't get to like, flick through these like you have to go on a computer look through a long list and then you tell us which ones you want to look at yeah so i was like no (laughs) i just want to look at them all (laughs) they're so pretty um anyway so that was definitely my first thing heading in and then it was actually kind of just by luck i mean not sorry not entirely by luck in that the archives has a very small library Mm -hmm. and the um the manager of the archives suggested a few books that i would look could look at just to kind of start because you know, the archives collection is huge. So it's just like, sure, you might like maps and planning documents, but even that's huge. So how do you start narrowing it down? And she suggested to look at a book called Bungie. Okay. And Bungie, you've never heard of it? No. This is so interesting because there's so many people who grew up in Darwin who have never heard of it. And like I had never heard of it, but I've only been here six years. So I think I'm exempt from feeling bad about this. But anyway, Bungie um, was a... I think maybe like it was probably released like every quarter. Okay. Um, it was a newsletter, like a zine, basically, mm. every quarter um, for about ten years, from the early seventies to the early eighties. And it was compiled by an anthropologist called Bill Day, who lived here for a long time and lived and worked with the Kalaluk community. And it was the um, the newsletter was all about land rights. There were some other things um, intertwined in there. So, like, for example, um, quite early on, so it must have been in the mid, like, um, mid-70s, like mid they were bringing in the kind of um, drinking in public laws. Mm-hmm. So one of the first editions actually has, like, a little kind of side note within the newsletter that says um, these laws are coming in, like, be careful. 
um, if you find yourself uh, in court, the judge is going to ask you guilty or not guilty. Always say not guilty. That is your right to say not guilty. Mm. And then the police have to prove, mm. you know, whatever it is they're charging you with. So it was also used as a bit of a communication tool to mostly Aboriginal people throughout um, Darwin about what was happening mm-hmm. that what was it, potentially going to English? affect them. It was in English, and they addressed that, I think, in the, the first issue where they say that they decided to do it in um, as simple English as they can mm-hmm. so that all different language groups have the best chance of mm-hmm. receiving the information. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that, like, there was lots of different... Like, Bill Day, I think, was kind of pushing it and managing it and compiling it, I guess, and printing it. But there's lots of contributions from different people, amazing, like, cartoons. Cool. Um, and this collection, like, every single newsletter is a part of, like, a single book in the Northern Territory Library that you can have a look at. Wow. And then he made a book called Bungie, which was more about, I guess, the journey around that newsletter. Mm. Um, and actually, I contacted him via the Book of Face and um, <laughs> told him that I'd found his collection. I just wanted to thank him because it was actually one of the few collections where I guess I felt that there was... Um, like a a First Nations voice mm-hmm. represented in relation to Darwin and how Darwin was developing and changing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that was really great. And I contacted him to be like, you know, maybe we should think about doing like a reprint of some of them and just distributing it as like a free zine or something. And he was like, I'm not sure if there's a market for that. And he's like, but why don't I send you my copies? Because he's like, because he's in his 80s and he's like, I'm downsizing. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. So he just mailed them to me last week. And if that is the only thing that comes out of my residency, I am so happy. Like, it's very, very cool. Wow. Mm. Actually, that just made me think I should bring that to the exhibition opening on Friday. With, like, proviso people should, like, I'll watch it, but people can have a look at it because it's very cool. Yeah, you're holding history there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is in the archives, but maybe just not every single page. And, like, I will probably eventually give it to the archives. Um, in that I don't feel the need to hold on to, like, this huge bundle of paper and potentially mm. lose it or spill a coffee on it. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, no, thank you. Um, it definitely needs to be preserved. How I, My favourite part, just to centre myself, of architecture is egress. Okay. And maybe I'm saying, maybe, like, even just saying that exposes my ignorance. But I wonder how your, how, like what agenda you have for our bodies as we move through your installation in relationship to how you usually think about solving a problem of buildings that you're creating mm. for people to move through and be within. Yeah, that's actually, it's been interesting. I think because my mind has been a bit... Um, I guess my mind's been taken in a different direction in terms of trying to think about how to visually represent like an idea through a drawing. Yes. Um, but also like even little things like, oh, how many prints am I going to do of that? And how much can I charge people for that? Because that's another thing I'm used to doing. Mm. So I actually hadn't probably given myself, there was, wasn't literally a lot of capacity yeah. to do what it is I normally do, which is just think about the space and the layout. Yeah, right. And it was only because I was in here this morning with CJ, yeah. Fraser Bell, 
and they were sort of saying, oh, I guess you could put it here and you could move people around like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, had, I hadn't even <laughs> thought about that. Like, like, oh, people. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was just trying to work out where it's all going to fit, yeah, basically. Okay. And I hadn't even thought about that movement stuff. But I think because I just, again, my brain had been pulled in different directions that it isn't used to being in. Mm. Um, so I was really glad that CJ said that because it was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing I enjoy thinking about. Let's just stop and... <laughs> You know, do that for a second. Yeah. I'm interested in um, when you speak about putting yourself in this... <laughs> basically, when you speak about being a bad architect mm-hmm. <laughs> and then making yourself redundant, but then also wanting to flex this uh, uh, angle of approach and point of view and technique and skill and apply it more toward like towards problematics that fail to even be brought up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your biggest hope with all the effort that goes into siphoning through archives and then inviting people to an installation and then I think honestly part of it is just like reminding myself and reminding other people that like you know you're not that interesting. It's like you don't have an idea like that's that original and people have been doing this work or looking into this topic or whatever long before you've come along and long after you will go. And that's okay. Like that's I think sometimes people get like intimidated by that. It's like this thing of like, but I need to think of something new and fresh. And it's like, well, maybe you don't. Maybe it's about more contributing to what's already happened and adding to it and developing it and always reflecting on it um but it's just like you know that motivational drive to create something new and unique it's like well that just comes from your own ego and wanting to take up space in my um case as a white person in society so it's a bit like do you really need to take up more space with your unique idea like maybe not um and again I think But again, that was part of the challenge for me throughout the whole process Um, and some good advice I got from friends doing things like their PhDs Mm. would remind, say that was the biggest challenge for them um, doing architectural-based PhDs was again remembering you don't have to think of a solution. You are contributing to a body of knowledge Mm. and yes, you want to have some progress within that kind of body of knowledge and some thoughts to contribute for someone else to continue on with but like you're not going to solve it all and that's okay like maybe that's not your job you know did you have you worked out what is your job um well (laughs) partly through the archives but was also reminded i don't know if you've seen a book called the relationship is the project Mm. so it's a very good book highly recommend it Um, And the first chapter is written um, by a woman called Genevieve Greaves, who used to live up here, Um, and it's called First Peoples First. And one of the great things about the book is that it's tackling some really complex um, topics, but each chapter, the person who's writing it gives you some really tangible things to kind of go away with. And one of the things that Genevieve um, lists, I guess, as a tangible thing you can do, and again, has something... I've been reminded of this throughout my residency is just to continually be aware of, you know, what your personal history is within this society. 
um, what your current role in it is and, yeah, what you can, I guess, be doing to make sure that your continued role is a, is a positive one, mm. you know? And so I think um, I was showing Therese Ritchie, an NT artist, through the exhibition a few week, like weeks ago now, and she did say, and I was sort of explaining that, and she's like, right, so what else did you find out except your white fragility? And I was like, no, that's fair. That is a lot of what I found out. Um, it's like, but it's like, she's like, great, but like, what's next, you know? Um, and so I think that is what I'm probably still trying to figure out in terms of what next is like, oh, great. You've worked out that you're a privileged white person, like only took you 33 years. Like what's next? I'm not sure. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> cool. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to talk about or anything that's, uh, like, I don't know, a, a, a mantra you try and remember in times of stress leading up to opening nights? Or... <laughs> no, but I think um, one of the things that I've enjoyed reminding people and um, saying to people through um, using maps mm. is that um, I think the reason I like working with maps, one is because I think that they a lot of the time can transcend uh, language and cultural barriers. Um not all accessibility barriers, but um, a lot. And also that I think reminding people that maps, I think, say a lot about what we value as a community. And so, for example, within my residency, there's a couple of maps I've shown people and one is like a very standard like road map that you would buy from a camping store or the tourism centre. And I've compared that to one of the maps that I've drawn and they are exactly the same scale and of the same area, but they tell you a very different story about the, about the place and also the person who's creating that map and what they think is valuable of that mm. place. And so I think it's... And again, like that's a, a map is one example of that, but I think it's that constant reminder that if you're... Whatever work you're creating, like whether it's a visual art piece or a dance piece or a podcast or whatever... Um, you know, what you're presenting says a lot about what you're valuing. Um, and, yeah, and I like the ability of a map to do that about, like, an entire place. I think that's mm. really interesting. Yeah, that's been one of, like, my favourite things. One of my favourites about that that you just reminded me is the... There's a talk, and I forget the name of the doctor, but I'll link to it, and he has a map book about mapping about European imposition of mapping waterways as being separate from the landways yes yes that was another <laughs> that was um, another big topic that I was really interested in throughout my residency because Darwin is on a peninsula it's on a port surrounded by water mm. and again the way like if you google Darwin it's very obvious there's blue and that's water and then there's like green and beige and red and yellow and whatever and that's the land and it's this incredibly ironic thing because water is never, especially when you're talking about a tidal like coastal edge, water is never, you can't draw a line to represent water because it is never in the same place at any one time. Mm. So even if you think about a map of Australia, it's like it's a photo, basically. It's a, yeah. it's a photo from space of Australia in one singular moment in time that mm. it looks that exact shape. Mm. And so I think, but I think, and I think that is also problematic, you know, 
it was spoken about a lot during the Brisbane 2011 floods. Mm. It was that thing of like, if you actually downloaded the 100-year flood map, it was not at all surprising that that flooding happened. But that's not how we want to see Brisbane. We don't want to see it with that those boundaries because then it would mean I can't build a house on the river and enjoy the view. So... Again, it's like that thing. It's like every time you draw a map, you are communicating to something to people about mm. what this place is. And unfortunately for a lot of us, in terms of our lens, you're communicating what it is you can and can't touch and take over and be a part of. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The, in that sense, a map becomes an infographic mm. of values. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you made some maps as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's some, some, like a lot of different scales. And sometimes it was really just um, cho- picking an existing map and choosing to draw certain layers of it. Oh, that's cool. So, because again, the thing I like about maps is I, again, I don't consider myself a visual artist because I guess so much of what I'm creating is information and imagery that actually already exists in this world. Again, I'm not creating anything new excuse me, but I'm choosing layers to pull out and represent because mm-hmm. I think that they're interesting or tell a certain story. Um, and again, like there's a, you know, a large contour map on a piece of perspex. And again, that information already exists here in this land that we stand on right now in topographical maps that the Northern Territory government have. It's not new information, but it's actually very, very rare that you would see a contour map of Darwin and just see the contours, not roads and other things as a part of it. So it's, again, just playing with that idea of, like, if you just chose one layer of this place, what does that tell you about it? It probably tell, it's told a lot of people that Darwin is actually um, has, like, a, a much more complex topography than they ever think. People think of Darwin as quite a flat place. Mm. When you see a contour map, you're like, oh, actually... And now that I think about it, I drive down that hill every day but I just generally think of Darwin as a very flat place. Yeah. Maybe driving has a flattening effect as well. Totally. Because you do flatten roads and mm. then you also don't have to sweat as you walk up the hill. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Even when you've got the highway and it's flat and straight, but then the bike path is up and down yeah. everywhere and you're like there or you're on your rollerblades or something. Yeah. <laughs> you're sweating it out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and it's, it's, all, it's next week. Yeah, so the opening is at Untitled Gallery in Coconut Grove in Darwin on the 7th of August at 6pm and it'll be here until the 27th of August. 2020. That's right. So for everyone who's not allowed to come and see it because of border closures. They can follow my Instagram. Yeah. Um, which you can link through this, will you? Or, yeah, okay. I will. Um, that'll be the best way. But there's also a Facebook page called A Hypothetical Darwin. Yeah, right. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of September, I will be taking it down to Alice Springs nice. to watch this space gallery. Yeah. And I will be showing the Alice Springs community what I've done in Darwin. And then I'll do a very condensed version of my residency and present some ideas of a hypothetical Alice. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did you come up with a... Uh, what's the word? Mm, proposed? Darwin out of your hypothetical Darwin like is there is there proposals in there for yeah so there are definitely ideas that I have um but again I think that was very much my 
um, intent going into the residency. And while I, I think those some of those ideas are valid and interesting, again, I guess they're more kind of prompts for a different way of thinking mm. as opposed to, like one of them, for example, is um, there's a small space between the Westpac Bank and the news agency on Smith Street Mall. Yeah. Um, and so one of the ideas is to turn that into like a bar during the dry season called the bar that Katie did and while I actually don't think that we should make the bar the bar that Katie did it's an example of thinking of like what are the what are spaces that we have in our city that maybe we're not using to the best of their potential or that have potential to be temporary spaces you know we don't need to build things it's just a walkthrough at the moment isn't it no you can't even go in there it's like back of house sort of stuff but again it's like and I didn't want to push I guess the resolution of those ideas too much because I didn't want people to hang on to like oh so you're we should totally like talk to the owner and get that bar bill it's like no 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 like it's more just saying this is a different way of thinking about the the space in our city yeah 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 wow Hmm. cool yeah thanks Katie thank you